You're listening to CFUV 101.9, the voice of Victoria. This is You in the Ring. Welcome to another episode, your weekly roundup of campus news and events. I'm your host, Aviva Lassard. Today on the show, we'll have an interview with Alicia Flipsy, the UVSS Interim Director of Outreach and University Relations, to hear her thoughts on the Third Space Art Installation, an interactive wall set up outside the Student Union Building, challenging white supremacy. We'll also be hearing from Miles Sauer about some Martlet's news stories from the past week. But first, we'll hear from Sarah Lazen, Lazen? Lazen from the Martlet to talk about the Steps Forward program. So welcome to our show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, what's your role at the Martlet? So I'm one of the staff writers at the Martlet. Cool. And are you? Uh, how are you affiliated with the University of Victoria? I am a fourth-year political science and journalism student here. Nice. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the Steps Forward program? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually studying one day on campus, and this girl is coming around with a petition, and she happens to be Julia Templeman, who is involved in the Steps Forward um, petition to have Steps Forward students be able to convocate. And so we started talking, and we ended up getting in touch, and basically she was really upset to learn that her good friend Nathan wasn't going to be able to convocate. At that time, that's what everyone thought was happening, right? And so a petition was started, a huge, there was a huge outpouring of community support, and a couple of weeks ago there ended up being a decision passed by the Senate that will allow Steps Forward students to convocate starting this June. Oh, great. So that seems like a lot of progress. Um, but what exactly is the program? So it's an inclusive education program. So it's students with different levels of um, different learning needs and challenges who are able to study at the university. They don't... Con- um, they don't participate in a standard um, degree type of program, but they will do like a certificate of completion. So Nathan, for example, is doing a certificate in political science and social justice right now. And have you had the opportunity to talk to other people in the program? I haven't, no, just Nathan so far. Cool. Um, and so so you mentioned a bit about Julia Templeman and Nathan. So yeah. they, uh, from your article in the Martlet, they were good friends. Yes. And she decided to kind of take on this case or this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was her experience in, in, in getting this petition out? Yeah. So um, it sounds like a while ago, back in the fall, Julia and a number of Nathan's professors started putting together letters and um, a petition sort of more directly towards the convocation committee here at UVic asking, you know, how can we change this? There have been a number of cohorts of STEPS students already who have completed their programming but haven't convocated. And they believe that it's such an important part of coming to university. You know, you work hard and then you celebrate. And -hmm. these students are working hard and then they're not being able to celebrate in the same way as everyone else. And so they put together this package back in the winter and sent it off and never really heard anything back. So that's when Julia sort of took to the internet and took to social media and was able to start a change online petition, mm-hmm. which gained thousands and thousands of signatures and supporters from all over the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so in the end, the university did respond to these requests. And how, how did that play out? Yes. So um, as far as we've been told, there actually has been um, this motion in the works for a number of months. However, this wasn't made clear to Julia to Nathan to anyone involved sort of on the ground at the student level and so a couple of weeks ago the Senate passed a decision saying that um, Steps Forward students are going to be allowed to participate in convocation starting this year. Nice and um, so how long has the program been running? Um, Steps Forward has been at UVic 
Since I believe the early 2000s, I know that at least 10 cohorts of students have passed through the program already. So at least 10 years, but I think a little bit longer than that. So this one will probably be a pretty special one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, have you learned anything from covering this story? I've learned a lot of things. I think it really has reinforced our role as student journalists of keeping mm-hmm. university bodies accountable and really our role in protecting the interests and telling the stories of students because there are students who don't necessarily have the same strength of voice that we might. I think it also really speaks to the transparency of university institutions. Mm-hmm. And so while they've been saying, you know, we've been working on this for months, nobody knew that because it's just not as transparent as I think it might need to be. Mm-hmm. And again, even if it is transparent to some degree, there's still that question of what is transparent and then what is accessible to regular students. Yeah, for sure. So I guess, yeah, it's kind of inspiring to hear that, like, a petition really did go somewhere, mm-hmm. um, which we don't always hear about. So, yeah, anything, any closing remarks on this story? I think we're all really excited to hear that Nathan will be able to convocate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're wishing him all the best in the future, and we're excited that hopefully now this means that other Steps Forward students will be able to convocate and properly celebrate their accomplishments as well. Amazing. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to CFUV 101.9. This is You in the Ring.
back to you in the ring. We just heard Laura Marling, um, her song The Valley off of her new album Semper Feminina. So now I'm joined in the studio with Miles Sauer from the Martlet. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? Pretty good. Um, so how has the Martlet's past um, paper been? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I can't even remember what our last issue was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our last issue is all about international uh, tuition fees, which I think I might have spoken to you about last time I was here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So lots of response to that. Uh, I We've been meaning to follow up on it and kind of dig into the numbers a little bit more. But um, the stories kind of took off. We sort of poked at Uvic a bit with the satire piece, kind of saying that students were thrilled to be paying more tuition <laughs> and contribute to their... Uh, campus um 
yeah, so that was a pretty good issue. Did they take well to the satire? Uh, I do not know how Yuvik responds to those things. <laughs> I only hear about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so what um, what kind of stories would you like to talk about today? Uh, well, it's been a little bit of a slow week uh, recently, just with exams and whatnot. Um, you already spoke to Sarah Lazen about Nathan Bodie and the Steps Forward proposal that happened at the Senate last uh, week. And, I mean, there's a bunch of other little things that kind of passed at Senate as well. I mean, not all of them kind of make for a huge news story, but, um, I mean, I could talk about that. Yeah, let's hear about it. it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just looking at my notes here a bit. Uh, Super minor thing. Literally, they uh, established a minor in theater for fine arts students who are interested in checking out theater program without committing to a major. Um, They established a Bachelor of Science program with an anthropology major, which, uh, same thing if you want to do a Bachelor of Science, but you want to focus on anthropology instead, that you can do that. Uh, The big thing was they agreed to establish like a joint degree program for Indigenous law. Um, It's the first program of its kind in Canada. I can't really get into I don't know the full details just yet. It's mm-hmm. one of those things we're kind of going to look into. But, um, yeah, it's the idea is that law students can go through this joint degree program with a really thorough understanding of Indigenous law as well as Anglo law and kind of come out of this program with a much better understanding of those sorts of uh, things. And, yeah, the uh, dean of the law law faculty, Jeremy Weber, he said it's like, unprecedented and it's unique in the world um so yeah that was some big news that that's really interesting Senate. sounds like a pretty good toolkit yeah to come up with that degree yeah totally and you know jeremy weber the dean of law he said uh it kind of helps uvic fulfill one of its commitments to the truth and reconciliation committee or mm-hmm. commission um it was one of the mandates for universities to kind of I can't remember, I don't know the exact wording of the mandate, but, you know. Well, education is a huge part of that mandate. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you, you know what it's all about. <laughs> um, and then uh, on a similar note, they also voted to establish the Department of Indigenous Education within the Faculty of Education. And that was something we kind of wrote about back in January when that department got faculty approval so the faculty of education was like yep we approve the creation of a department but it had to go to senate and so it did um and back in january when i spoke with the director of indigenous education onua mciver she said um it can only mean great things for indigenous worldviews and ways of being and forms of teaching to have a unit that has autonomy that is self-determining and can make its own tenure and promotion policies. I just read out a quote from her, <laughs> my apologies, but I just wanted to make sure I got her words right. So yeah, lots of uh, things like that that happened at the Senate meeting, as well as the steps forward mm-hmm. uh, proposal. Interesting. When's the next meeting? Uh, they're every month. So the next one would be beginning of May. Okay. Don't know the exact date, but. Um, and has there been some sort of, um, this new policy on sexualized violence? I hear that's come out recently. Yeah. So, uh, same week as that Senate meeting, the UVic Board of Governors, um, convened and they voted to approve that. 
uh, the final draft plan. Can you give us a little background in that? Sure. So UVic kind of started working on this policy by establishing a working group back in May 2016. It was kind of right around the same time that the BC government passed its own legislation that mandated universities to create a dedicated and specific policy addressing sexualized violence and the prevention response to it. Um, UVic has kind of maintained that they were working on this policy before the BC government ever made it uh, a mandate, but I mean, they came close enough that it just kind of worked out. Um, so yeah, that was about a year long process, I guess, I guess about a year long process. Um, working group went through a whole bunch of consultations and all that. Uh, and then the draft plan was open for consultations from the public about a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the final plan was put forward to the Board of Governors and they voted on it. So, And have you had feedback on how it's being received? Uh, or at least how the draft was being received? You know, I, we haven't really had a chance to speak with people, much mm-hmm. pe- many people yet. Um, I imagine, yeah, yeah I, I can't really speak to the response yet. I mm-hmm. think people Maybe are, we'll I th- hear more about yeah, it. Yeah, I think people are happy that it's been done and that it's on its way to being implemented i know right now they're seeking even more feedback on just how it'll be implemented so Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like i was just kind of thinking it feels like there's always more feedback and more feedback and more feedback but that's good i mean they should be looking for do you by any chance know how it compares to other universities i do not okay no that'd be interesting to look that into. would that would be a good <laughs> question yeah you're uh giving me a lot to think about today so <laughs> cool, thank yeah. you um and then maybe lastly i don't know if you know too much about it but we did talk a bit about or we have been talking about that story about some sexual harassment at carsa and we know that some people have submitted some sort of complaints to the administration about really negative experience they had and Carsa wasn't really responding in what the, what the complainers considered a very productive way. Have you, by any chance, heard more on that story? Uh, not since the end of March, um, when we originally published that story. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard. I haven't heard one thing or another from you, Vic, at all. I don't know if you have. I don't know. No, I haven't. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a really interesting story, and just kind of seeing um even reading like how the director of carsa was that who it was like just reading just reading like carsa officials just kind of say oh you know like we do have this training in place and Mm -hmm. you know we're trying to create these inclusive spaces but at the same time you do have a lot of people who say oh this is an issue and i imagine it's kind of an issue in a lot of gyms and public spaces like yeah i would definitely i would definitely agree um I, I personally had some issues um, playing intramurals. Um, it was really negative, and oh, and it wasn't it was res- wasn't really responded. I really had to go in and push for my own like needs and to yeah. tell them what was actually going on. And overall, it wasn't it wasn't really I don't know it wasn't really responded to in the way I would have liked. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it takes a lot of courage to get up there and actually complain, and then totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean we had. I mean, if you probably read our story, like somebody did go mm-hmm. complain and they were kind of brushed off yeah. in a way, which hopefully, like, hopefully this policy can kind of 
maybe address that mm-hmm. like on an institutional level like hopefully it does apply to things that go on at places like cars yeah it's definitely all connected <laughs> I, absolutely yeah mm-hmm. so yeah are there any other stories that you would like to talk about uh there has been a bit more like response and feedback regarding the third space wall uh when that happened i know that was the big thing we talked about last time i was here uh we published an open letter yesterday signed uh on behalf of the department of gender studies where they kind of took issue with uh president jamie castle's response to the wall because he wrote like a very brief very kind of sanitized response saying you know we condemn these issues of uh racism but uh the professor who wrote this open letter, I don't have her name handy right now. She, she and others have kind of said, you know, you need to do a lot more to kind of address this issue. Cause you can't just point to this, the stuff that was written on the wall and say, that's as bad as it is. Like it is a systemic thing. It's something that affects staff and faculty and students in a lot of ways that are kind of unseen. And so, yeah, they're, uh, I mean, it'll probably be too late for listeners, but there is an open forum going on later today where they're kind of hoping to get some people to come in and talk about addressing those issues in a much more thorough way. Yeah, last time we heard from Daphne Shaid about, yeah, a lot about, obviously about the whole wall, but a little bit about the university's response. So it's kind of heartening to know that they've kind of gone forward with something like that open letter to really address it and not just let that kind of fall away. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what the forum comes up with. Yeah, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Where can our listeners hear more about the Martlet? Uh, Just scroll on over to martlet.ca. It's kind of the best, the best spot, especially during the summer when we only go to a once per month print schedule. Great. All right. Thanks so much for covering this news. Thank you for having me. Next up, we have the band Port Cities with the song, The Idea of You. Stay up until they all go home. 
CFUV 101.9, the voice of Victoria. We also stream online at cfuv.ca. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cfuv 101.9, or you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Next up, we're going to hear from Miyoko. Miyoko participated in a sound making workshop which took place at CFUV in March 2017. This is about the interesting people she met and their off the beaten path research at the university. of a noise-making workshop taking place at the radio station and facilitated by Fiona Keenan, a sound researcher coming all the way from the University of York in England. I was intrigued, so I went. It was during the evening. The station was almost empty. I waved hello through the on-air booth window to a lonely show host. I walked down to the end of the hallway towards unusual sounds. I opened the door and stepped in a small triangular space where three people were chatting and playing around with tin cans, beans, springs and duct tape. All kinds of other materials were spread all over the table in the center of the room. Teddy Brock from the Maker Lab at Uvic was there with Fiona Keenan and Alex who seemed to be enjoying the workshop experiment. I learned that Fiona was actually hosted by the Maker Lab as a PhD student in residence. So Teddy explained to me what they're doing at the Maker Lab and the connection with Fiona's PhD research around nose making. We study these um, historical patents of technologies, um, usually from the 19th century, uh, early 20th century, um, that you may not know much about or we um, we can't access today so like they exist only as a two-dimensional patent and so 
uh, what we do in the Maker Lab is we, um, we study these things, these technologies and their place in culture by actually remaking these things. So we, we prototype the technologies. And uh, I think a lot of that uh, comes from just th this idea that you can, you can learn a lot about a technology by having to physically rebuild it or construct it. Um, from its two-dimensional form. So reading how it was built and then actually having to go through that process um, is really important because you, you come up against problems that are very like embodied and they're very material-based um, that you wouldn't otherwise be able to predict if you were just reading off the patent and saying, oh, oh, that's how it works um, and thinking that you do, but without actually having to like put yourself through that process. So that's where the research comes in is... Um, it's research that's generated from physically building something and it isn't in, in an abstract form and it's also looking at how uh, technologies are so intertwined with culture like they're not just separate things so I think it's it's really drawing that relationship between the material and the the meaning that we make out of that or how those technologies um, kind of inform the way our cultures operate <laughs> So this workshop really plays around with what we do in the lab in a big way because it, it um, gets people to actually think about sound as a material thing. And a lot of times, I think, especially being um, so digital now, we, we might um, imagine sound as kind of this, like, it's very abstracted or we're not thinking of, like, the, the physical sources of it. So I think in a really fundamental way, just getting, like, out tin cans and, and, and duct tape um, and really like listening to the sounds that are being produced, but like looking at that relationship between gestures is, is um, really connected to kind of that idea that prototyping a technology is a kind of knowledge. From what I know, the Maker Lab's research approach is pretty unique. I understand better how Fiona would be interested in working with them as part of her PhD. She explained to me what her work was about and how she came to spend a month with the Maker Labs team. My PhD is looking at historical methods of making sound. So before there was sound recording. So sound effects practice basically in places like theatre um, or early radio and early cinema. Um, because I'm interested in interactions with sound. So how our physicality um, can come together with a, an object that makes sound and how we make meaning out of that and how we perform different sounds. So a lot of the stuff I do is very digital and very technical because I'm programming versions of things and trying to get people to interact with the digital world in a physical way. Um, the approach that Maker Lab take to sort of remaking history um, has really influenced me for quite a while. So I was lucky enough to get a research placement to come here for a month. So I proposed a project to come and sort of investigate this as part of an expansion of what I'm doing. So I've been working with the MLab team on various things that they're doing. And then through that, I devised this workshop based around tin cans and thinking about how many different noises could you feasibly get from a tin can and how can that sort of teach someone how to experiment with materials. So trying to teach experimentation and method. You know, people think that 
say a musical instrument without relationship with a musical instrument is more complicated than that and they kind of people decide I'm musical or I'm not um, but when it comes to things like sound you can be so simple in how you um, how your body needs to move that you can learn things very quickly so it's just about sort of exploring how people could be maybe um, turned on to using sound in an artistic way or performing with it and stuff without having that musical background so trying to think about like simple actions and simple sound so yeah like letting the body engage with materials and experimenting and stuff um, but in a way that doesn't require too much skill just sort of an introduction into it the beauty of historical effects is that they are so simple that if if we only can if we make them sort of digital and um, even just that simplicity alone and that sort of like um, uh, how how um, how the linkage is between the action and the sound and stuff the expectation is there that it'll be easier to sort of use as a, sta a sort of stepping stone to explore sound as a, as a medium of expression I think so I think a lot of people like I say either if you're if you're not a person who plays musical instruments or um, if you're somebody who feels they're not sort of quote unquote technical, then you're turned off in sort of both directions. You know, so I think it's about if we can maybe make things a bit more bodily, that it's opening up access to more people um, in terms of making music with the computer or making sound. do a lot of um, computer programming work um, as part of my research and one of the things I'm looking at is taking something that's very simple like turning a dial but but making that turn um, sort of more mechanical in the computer so taking like a, a small stream of data but then making the sound that comes out um, sort of complicated but making sense with the gesture and that's like a method from historical sound effects because people were building huge structures to do that with that one turn sort of thing so if we can like distill that into a small gesture then we can think about you know people who need adaptable interfaces or who want to explore sound or perform music and they're differently abled and they don't have um, access to the dexterity and stuff required to turn a handle we can think about how um, how we can make sensors sort of make more sense to the person who's using them so um, so we can think about those mapping relationships between how the data um, is going to do something and the action that you've done and trying to make those two things um, link together better for people. I looked at a lot of um, historical manuals where theatre practitioners were explaining to you how to create this effect and telling you the steps you had to follow. And technical writing was not what it is now in the 19th century. So you get a couple of paragraphs and you'd have to find the significant detail in those paragraphs by actually making the thing. And then I suppose trying to answer those questions then generates other things like, oh, at the time it was accepted that people understood all of these carpentry terms because nobody who didn't understand those carpentry terms would be reading those books. So who were those books for? 
well, they were for people who were literate for a start, so not the carpenters. You know, they probably weren't for women, you know, because women weren't working in carpentry necessarily in the 19th century, I assume. They were for, like, you know, theatre managers or, you know, so you've got all of these other things, these questions about who is this for and why. And it's that thing. It's like, you know, learning through making and thinking through making. I didn't really get to play with the tin cans and beans because I was fascinated by how the approach of Fiona's and the Maker Lab's researches were allowing them to travel back in time and study technology, sociology, art, and many other fields, allowing them to reflect in a new way on our present time and culture, as well as things like the experience and the meaning of collaborative work itself. Getting into a space where everybody's working together and coming from different angles um, to solve a problem um, is a really interesting way to like do research and it's I think especially in the school system it's not something that's that's typically taught like I think we still have this idea that um, you're an individual student and you get an individual grade and you're writing a single paper um, and you're not really thinking about the ways that your your own research is really connected with with other people and kind of a bigger community so I think like the format of the lab and the format of this workshop forces people into a, a small space together with all these materials and then they're just kind of allowed to like experiment and and play around and like see what comes out of it so the end goal isn't this like polished project but it's more of like looking at how the process is a form of research and like that 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 process is the research and it's we're not like always looking for these problems to be nicely tied up but we're sometimes we end up generating more questions and I think that's kind of the the point of what we do. Those few hours spent with Teddy, Fiona and Alex in this small triangular room made me feel as though I had traveled somewhere away from Victoria. Once again, I left this experience very much inspired and full of new insights, listening to how passionate these people are with what they do. And so I hope you did too. If you want to check out further information on the Maker Lab, you can go to their website at maker.uvic.ca and on Fiona Keenan's research website at ftkeenan.wordpress.com. That's ftkeenan.wordpress.com. Next, we're going to hear from the band Tai Chi from their song, Baby.
Our next guest in the studio will be Alicia Flipsy, um, and she is the Interim Director of Outreach and University Relations for the UVSS, the University of Victoria Student Society. So welcome to the studio. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your role as the Director of Outreach and University Relations? Um, yeah, for sure. I actually started off the year as a director at large, so I only came in in September to Outreach and University Relations, which is why it says interim at the front there. Um, and so my role, I'm one of five lead directors. I kind of liaise with the university on projects um, and also working for member outreach. So things like kind of planning the AGM and the SAGM in our big meetings, that's all in my portfolio. And have you been enjoying your time? It's been good. Yeah, it's almost done. Um, our term wraps up at the end of this month and then a new board comes in for May 1st. But yeah, it's been a really great way to end my time at UVic. I'm graduating as well. Oh, so. congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What were you studying? Political science. Cool. Yeah. So you got a lot done. of hands-on experience? Yeah, it was a really great um, work experience, especially given my degree. But mm -hmm. yeah, sad it's done. But So today we're going to continue our discussion about um, that third space art project, um, about the wall, as we call it. Um, so the feminist collective, the third space on campus set up a, a wall in front of the student building, a student union building on March 15th. It was a very large wooden structure painted white with the question, how do you challenge white supremacy written in black lettering across the upper part of the wall? The public was invited to share, to write their thoughts as it was written below with an arrow pointing at the blank space and some markers. So the project was initially approved by the university and the UVSS. Were you part of this approval process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Daphne uh, came and presented to one of our board meetings, um, I think in January sometime. Um, they were hoping to actually have the wall go up for February, I believe. And so they kind of brought this to us and we helped them liaise with the university to a degree, um, kind of university was sending us for requirements. I think Daphne mentioned last time, the requirement of having that base so that it would kind of wouldn't fall over in the wind. So stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, once all those requirements were met, um, they were given the go ahead from the university. We voted on it at the board and kind of voted that we supported the project. So that was kind of at the board level, it was a collective decision by us. And did you think that the question, how do you challenge white supremacy, would invite such aggressive and racist comments? 
We were concerned about people using the wall for, as a platform for hate speech. Um, and one of the requirements and the stipulations of the space being used was that they would monitor it and that hate speech would be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, <laughs> it was a concern that was kind of right to have because you did see a lot of hate speech popping up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was originally supposed to be up for a month? That was, yeah, that okay. was the original plan. Um, and did, so did the UVSS or the university... Did they plan a response in case such comments would appear on the wall, other than just the removal? We were, our understanding was that the third space was monitoring it, um, so we were kind of leaving it in their hands more, just, you know, needs to be monitored, hate speech needs to be removed, that was kind of our understanding. Um, we didn't have a plan to remove it, kind of, so to speak, before all of this happened, our plans kind of developed as we got into things, as we saw the hate speech popping up, as mm-hmm. we saw that it wasn't being removed in a prompt manner, um, that it was causing a lot of harm to a lot of students on campus. And so our kind of plans developed from there. We didn't have a plan beforehand necessarily of, oh, if, if X happens, we'll do this. And if this happens, we'll do that. And we'll mm-hmm. remove it if it gets to that point. We didn't have that in mm-hmm. mind. Did you wish you'd had that? In, in hindsight, it could have been more clearly establishing what monitoring would look like probably would have been useful. Mm-hmm. Um I think maybe there could have been some clearer understanding between us and the third space of what monitoring looked like from our end and maybe their end, because mm-hmm. maybe that was not the same idea, and maybe that caused some of that tension there. But hindsight's hindsight's great, isn't it? Hindsight <laughs> is twenty twenty. <laughs> um, so after the three days of the wall being up, the UVSS and I believe the university as well asked the third space to take down the wall. Um, how was that decision made, and what were the reasons behind it? Yeah, that was a long day of talking and going back and forth over options. It wasn't a decision that we'd kind of been sitting on and kind of knew we wanted to do. Um, It really did come out kind of later in the afternoon as we realized that, you know, it's Friday. It's going to be Friday night. It's going to be up for a weekend when they're really, it's going to be hard to monitor it with people not on campus and leaving Mm -hmm. it up for another night seemed really problematic to us because it was at night that you were getting people were writing hate speech during the day as well but you were getting a lot more at night and so we came to school on Friday morning and saw the wall with all of these really hateful messages written on it and was really harmful to a lot of students we were having students come to us really upset really harmed not feeling safe on campus and they should feel safe on campus and having this platform for hate speech was problematic we didn't we didn't feel like we could leave it up for that extra night so we did reach out to the third space it was later in the afternoon Mm -hmm. um telling them that you know what it needs to come down Mm -hmm. um and if if you aren't able to then we'll get uvic facilities to do so okay and so yeah i guess we talked to daphne shaid last week um who said that um they didn't agree to take the wall down but there wasn't really any negotiation room possible with the uvss or the university i guess because it was the end of the day and Mm -hmm. I guess I don't know exactly why. Um, in your opinion, was there negotiation or was it kind of just a, this is the the, the we, rule? Or the... We had been talking with the third space kind of throughout the couple of days. I think Daphne mentioned that we were, you know, talking about when you were getting there on Thursday morning, going, oh, what's this on the wall? You know, is it going to be painted? What's going on? Um, in terms of the decision to take it down, it was just kind of, it's it was a final decision um, in the sense that our understanding of the project when we approved the project was that it will be monitored and hate speech will be removed. Mm -hmm. And hate speech 
wasn't being removed. I think they kind of were removing things when it was full as opposed to removing hate speech when it was put up, which is what our understanding was. Mm -hmm. Well, it almost seemed like it was going up every couple minutes. It was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was, and so potentially monitoring just wasn't a possibility because it was too much to monitor. Mm -hmm. Um, But just given that, we... The can of worms was opened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was causing a lot of harm to students. So then the wall was indeed taken down. Mm -hmm. Um, And what actions did the university and the UVSS take after that in regards to like the reasons why the wall was taken down mm-hmm. um we did release a statement about the wall um, is that the uvss the uvss statement yeah mm-hmm. uvic statement was issued i think like a few days later it was later mm-hmm. the next week um and separately from us that wasn't um we weren't involved in that but um in terms of just kind of checking in and like we were having like i was getting emails from students and kind of directing them to places that they could find support and stuff like that was a kind of big can you summarize the UVSS statement or and and tell us the medium kind of how it was released um we released it over our Facebook that's um pretty typically how we release our statements um to summarize it um you know we condemn the hate speech that was on the wall the UVSS does not support hate Mm -hmm. speech and racism um we support our advocacy groups and we're you know supportive of this project to try to challenge white supremacy because that is something that we should challenge and resist but the wall ended up being used as a platform for hate um a key requirement of the booking um of the space booking essentially was that hate speech would be removed promptly when it became clear that this wasn't possible, we made the decision to remove the wall. Mm-hmm. That sums it up. And I know that your your the UVSS right now is on their way out and mm-hmm. issuing in a new a new slate. But did you take any direct actions to um, address the issue of racism on campus? And how did you do that? That's something. It's an ongoing um, issue. I think, especially you saw swastikas drawn on the wall, and so anti-Semitism is definitely something that we're thinking about going forward. How can we? create a safe space on campus, um, you know, with that, with racism. Um, and it's tricky. Yeah, I think the new board potentially kind of looking at, like, they'll, they'll undergo anti-oppressive training and kind of seeing what training is kind of, given the issues that we're seeing right now, what training they should go um, might mm-hmm. be shaped by that. But again, I'm not going to be the is, one making that decision. Is the anti-oppression training um, a common thing? Is it- yeah, that's part of the training that new boards go through. So there's a three-day training period to start. Um, that was part of our training at the start of last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's gone on for, but mm-hmm. I know it was did part of our training. Did you find that training quite helpful? It was, yeah. And we did have presentations from all the different advocacy groups um, during our training as well. So that was also really a great way to kind of be introduced to the work they do and to start learning and unlearning um mm-hmm. and kind of understanding issues of racism and sexism and all these because it's definitely not something I know like I'm coming as a you know a, a white female and so I don't experience racism mm-hmm. that's not something I can see from with my identity but then going through that training kind of opens your eyes and helps you listen to those who come forward with these experiences and hearing mm-hmm. those experiences and can hopefully help you react when these crazy things happen Mm -hmm. and do it in a more mindful way or like a more sensitive way. Yeah. And that's really, you know, there was people who didn't want the wall to come down, but there was also a lot of students coming forward whose identities were being attacked on that wall and it was hate speech and they weren't feeling safe on campus. Mm -hmm. And so it was listening to those students essentially really informed Mm -hmm. our decision. And as someone with your identity, as you say, were you, were you really surprised at what went up or not? Yes and no. I was surprised of hearing, like, hearing instances, um, like the one Daphne mentioned last week, where someone walked up in kind of in front of a whole bunch of people Mm -hmm. and drew swastika. Things like that surprised me. I wouldn't have thought that people would be 
um, that, you know, racism is hidden mm-hmm. here. People don't, you know, say it explicitly. So I was surprised at that. Um, I wasn't overly surprised that people, mm-hmm. that, you know, there is racism here and there mm-hmm. is white supremacy here. So, that, you know, people going up at night under the cover of darkness or anything like that doesn't surprise me. I was surprised people did so in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And then so in hindsight, realizing that, well, okay, probably could have seen that coming, mm-hmm. you know, if you know that there's racism here, maybe that's something we should have thought of <laughs> before. But. And from your involvement in this whole kind of issue, um, do you see the university itself reacting and addressing issues of racism on campus? I can't really, I don't know what the university, I like, know they've issued the statement. Um, I know it's been critiqued for calling it vandalism, and I do think you can't vandalism doesn't make sense in the context of it's mm-hmm. a wall that you're supposed to write on mm-hmm. um you know and i think they like us want to make sure that students feel safe on campus i don't know what concrete actions they're taking if any mm-hmm. um that's kind of an ongoing conversation there as well and we you know we did kind of bring up last time um we had a meeting with their executives and we kind of brought up you know these issues of we need to kind of go in forward make sure people students feel safe on campus and you know how do we do that and it's not a question we were able to answer right in that second mm-hmm. of course um but it's kind of conversation it's things we're aware of and conversations i think the new board will probably continue to have with the university going mm-hmm. forward have you heard about the forum that's going to occur today um discussing racism on campus yeah i did yeah it's a group of faculty putting it yeah. on i believe i believe it's from the gender studies department okay yeah, yeah. i haven't heard much about it i think but... a joanne lee is part of it okay mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe people can check that out. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. definitely. We'll hear back from the outcome of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you have any other any other comments on this whole this whole kind of of this whole event, <laughs> I guess? Um, I guess yeah, it's it is unfortunate. I mean, we were in that position of wanting to support our advocacy group, the Third Space. Um, you know, we try to support all of the advocacy groups here at the UVSS. Um, and kind of being stuck between that, but also students really coming in and being harmed. And I think there was a lot of discomfort among white students who saw this message and were kind of discomforted by that and felt uncomfortable. But that's not what I'm referring to. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, people of marginalized identities who identities were being attacked on the board, feeling really unsafe, really harmed. And so addressing that and kind of deciding that students' safety um, was most important there. Mm -hmm. And can you give uh, the sort of list of resources that people who are feeling like this can yeah, access? the Advo groups are a great place to go for support. Um, so that was kind of, those were on our list. Um, Anti-Violence Project is also a great place to go to support, though I think they, I don't know what their support hours are for this week. I think they've been short-staffed of late. Mm-hmm. Um, we put up UBIT counseling services, um, security as well. There is, you know, things like SafeWalk if you're comfortable with going to security. Um, there's a variety of sources. They're, they are listed on our statement. So. Okay. So yeah. to look at that Facebook UVSS statement release mm-hmm. is a good resource. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks so much for coming in yeah. and telling, taking the time to talk to us about this very um, intense issue. Yeah, and thanks for having um, me. Yeah, and good luck in your future. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations <laughs> on graduating. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thanks mm-hmm. a lot. that's it for another episode of You in the Ring. Thanks Miyoko for the segment on the sound making workshop at CFUV and research at the Maker Lab. Thanks to Sarah and Miles from the Martlet and to Alicia from the UVSS. Today we got to hear about some interesting stories at the Martlet, including the new convocation for students in the Steps Forward program. 
the university's new policy for dealing with sexualized violence, and we also got to hear the UVSS voice on the third space wall installation. Our producer is Miyoko, and I'm your host, Aviva Lassard. Thanks for tuning in to You in the Ring. This is CFUV 101.9.